Buonasera, everyone. How are you doing tonight, Mike? I am well. What is up, everybody? You are listening to, of course, the Necromaniacs podcast. Uh, we are back once again. Tonight, it is uh, myself, Michael Scandato, along with the uh, tall, dark, and handsome Mike Hill. What's going on, Mike? I'm doing okay. Uh, tonight is, a, is an Italian episode. Yes, it is. We're yeah. going to Italy, children. Well, Italy by way of Vienna. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it's a, a Spanish-Italian evening. In, uh, mm. And it takes place, it's actually a, a whirlwind of locations in this film. That is true. And, uh, you know, just to throw it out there, we're going to cover a movie we, we've mentioned in passing, but never actually plunked down and covered, and that is the excellent Sergio Martino 1971 banger, The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward. But before we get into it, kids, we've got some plugs. And of course, um, Break the Apocalypse podcast. Uh, I hope uh, you guys had a chance to listen to my uh, my interview. Well, not my interview. My 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 sit in with them. It was kind of just you know. You were a guest. You were a guest on their podcast. Yeah, I was a guest on their podcast. You know, sometimes basic English just you know leaves my head. Um, But that was a lot of fun. Make sure you check them out. They have new episodes uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, they drop every Friday to Break the Apocalypse. Thank you guys for your support. And thank you, Break the Apocalypse listeners, for your listenership. Also want to thank Horror Wolf, our buddy Brandon Legion, who has uh, mm-hmm. always been a big supporter, a good friend. And uh, he runs a great ship over there. So check him out at Horror Wolf Podcast and blog, actually. Yes, and real quick, listeners, you're, you know, two of you are in for a treat. We over at Necromaniacs have two T-shirts left. We have a size small and a size medium, and that is that. So if you go to the Everything Went Black website, right, Mr. Hill? Yep. Uh, you can find the little section where we're selling the merch, and yeah, that's all she wrote. We have two very cool black with our awesome red lettering t-shirts, size small, size medium. That'll be all she wrote. Will we revisit merch again? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, but probably, uh, thank probably. You. Yeah. probably, yeah. But thank you to everybody who has bought them. Uh, it's been like our little dirty secret in a way. People have kind of bought them and it's just, you know, I feel like they're as surprised that they're on the site as we are that we're getting the orders. <laughs> yeah, they come every now and then and I'm, I'm like what the fuck is this thing oh, oh shit we have we have t-shirts <laughs> yeah so we're down to two and and who knows by the time this airs we might not even have those two left but uh again thank you guys uh you guys have been great on you know instagram and facebook and yes cheers to you necromaniacs listeners so what what have you been checking out mike anything good um, I guess when I had the Rona and my, my, my Corona is, is, is pretty much gone. I would say, um, I, you know, I, I watched all of succession, which I mentioned, uh, you know, on our last sit down, which I fucking loved 30 episodes, really cool. And then I have restarted Mad Men and I am on the end of season two of Mad Men and listeners may know, well, Mike, 
I think you've seen this show before. And yes, I have seen the show before, but it's like a good winter time show for me. I don't know why. Like I, I'm kind of, you know, drawn to going back to it. And I am just obsessed with Don Draper, Mike Hill. I'm obsessed sure. with the character, um, his life and his decisions and his, you know, the way he moved through life from 1960 to 1970 is just kind of fascinating. And the, the many other amazing characters on the show. And if we have listeners that have yet to have ever checked out Mad Men, you really, really should. Um, the IMDB TV app, which is one of the free ones out there on your, you know, your Apple or your Roku, uh, they have Mad Men for free. Um, everywhere else, I mean, AMC has their own app. You have to pay for it. And if you want to watch individual episodes on Amazon, you have to pay for it. Uh, but the IMD, IMDB TV app has it with very limited commercial interruptions. And an interesting thing is, even though there's commercial interruptions, they, they kind of pick right up the second it leaves off. So they are completely unedited episodes, which is nice. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, and aside from that, uh, been just kind of like listening to like a lot of music and a lot of podcasts. Haven't been doing much reading, which I, I need to amend. Um, like today, I listened to the new uh, Rialto report, which had a a tie-in uh, to that, you know, the the, the new Times Square, uh, you know, killer thing on um, Netflix, which was excellent. And I watched that over the break. Um, and uh, I've discovered, although I, I've known about it for a while, um, Alan Averill from Primordial, Mike, he has his own podcast. Yeah, yeah you know? I'm aware of it. I uh, My friend Jackie Smith, who does Into the Necrosphere, yes, has been yes. a guest on that. And he's mm -hmm. also had that dude from Primordial on his webs on his uh, podcast as well. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, I, I listened to like the Dan Lilker episode recently and i listened to like his his most recent like 2022 episode and i'm like looking through and, and he, he's had some like cool guests and some cool topics so that that's another new podcast i'm going to kind of devour i guess because i'm actually a really big uh, primordial fan since like the, the mid 90s going back um and one of my many regrets was missing the the one show in brooklyn they did a couple years well more than a couple years back at vitus I'm kind of bummed I missed that primordial shelves because I've never seen them live. Yeah, I saw them at Maryland Death Fest when we played a few years ago. And mm. I, I don't know their 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 work. You know what I mean? Like I I'm aware of Primordial, but I just haven't taken a deep dive into what they sound like. Really, they have a lot of albums. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, totally. First one dropped in like '95, '96, so it, they have a lot of material. Um. It's it's definitely in the black metal realm, uh, especially the early material. Uh, and now they've kind of have this interesting mix of like black metal, pagan folk, and maybe even a touch of like post-punk on the most recent record. I have this one song that's almost killing jokey, actually. It's really cool. Um, but for the most part, they're kind of like black metal, you know, folk, pagan style, like very epic kind of sounding shit, really good lyrics. You know, Alan seems like a smart guy and has interesting interesting things to say. So, yeah, that's what that's what I've been checking out. Right on. What about you? I just, minutes before uh, we started recording this, watched the final episode of Dexter of the newest oh, season, okay. the new, you know, the new blood. 
Mm-hmm. Did you check? Have you seen it? I watched the first two episodes um, because they're free on Prime, or I think the first episode is free on Prime. Right. And I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, did the season wrap? Dude, it goes out hard. And I'm not, okay. I'm not gonna, if now that I know that you haven't seen it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil it for you. So now what I'm going to do is once the Ray Donovan special airs, which is soon, I believe yeah. if it didn't even come already, I'm going to do a free trial of Showtime and bang out the whole new Dexter and bang out the Ray Donovan movie. Yeah. And then probably peace out my showtime. <laughs> no, that that's that's totally fine, man. Because I, I think I've told you what I do. It's like I don't. I might have an app for like two months, and then I, I yeah. shut it down, and I could come back if something comes up on it. You know, like I do that with Epics all the time. Yes, because I, man, I I can't. Like I I, I just got Paramount and yeah, I have Peacock and I have Shutter, and it's just it's it's insane. Then there's probably ones I don't even realize I'm paying for. And, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it, it gets to be too much, you know, but, um, yeah, I, I, I really, really did enjoy what I saw. So I think I am going to like it very much. And, uh, you know, I, I I'm sure it was awesome. It goes out hard. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> so that, that's keep be, be advised. You know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. so yeah, watch that. Uh, I'm kind of, uh, men's amends on, uh, on yellow jackets, which a lot of people mm-hmm. seem to be going crazy over. Yeah. A lot of buzz. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I mean, I, I mean, it's going to wrap up soon. I'm going to finish watching the season, but I'm not that, I'm not that into it really. I gotta be honest. Is it, is it horror? What is it? Yeah. Like in a couple sentences. It's, it's, um, you know, you know why I don't like it. It's, it's, um, capitalizing on this kind of quote unquote folk horror explosion that's going on. You know, yeah, there is. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, OK, we're going to have, uh, you know, some dude with a mask. It's going to be in the woods. There's going to be these like, you know, symbols and, you know, sticks and stuff like that. But they don't really go into any kind of like mythology to back any of it up. At least they haven't at this point. And the first season's almost over with, mm. you know, and uh, yeah. yeah, it just seems like very, I don't know. Like kind of um, superficial in some ways, and I don't think it's going to deliver, and that's the, that's my my problem with it. Well, I I know we we uh, we both watched the Times Square Killer on Netflix. Yes, that was great, actually. Yeah, I, I wanted to just get your take on it. I, I liked it quite a bit, and what's interesting is that I you know I mean I, I'm not a huge look. I know all the main serial killers. Okay, I know quite a bit about all the marquee names. But I'd never heard of this guy before uh, that, that this, this series is about. Uh, and he, it's, he seems very interesting. And I, I like the fact that I never heard of him and that this kind of exposes you to a story that, I mean, unless, you know, maybe if you're kind of knee deep in this kind of world or all these things, you, you know, you never really knew about uh, Richard Cottingham. Did you ever hear of this guy? I've I've heard of the torso killer. I for, I didn't recognize his name right off the bat because back in the nineties, mm-hmm. I was way into all that serial killer stuff. Like that was you know back in the nineties, that was when it was yeah, yeah. very very cool to be into serial mm-hmm. murder and stuff. Especially in our our circles, I would say yes. Yeah, so I would read you know Answer Me and you know all those like sketchy like magazines about all that stuff. <laughs> right. You know, the Sandra London, uh, you know, true crime stuff, like all that kind of business, you know. 
Mm -hmm. Like I have the the infamous Jeffrey Dahmer comic from Boneyard Press. I still have it. That uh, goes for pretty coin now. That was like one of the most banned comics like ever. Yeah. Uh, back in like '92, and then after that dropped, a bunch of other sketchy comic companies put out other weird things, and I, I still have quite a few of that shit uh, in, in some comic boxes. But yeah, the Richard Cunningham thing was real interesting, and then um, you know how. Uh, the the daughter of one of the victims, you know, became friends with him and goes to visit him, and kind of kind of fascinating, huh? It is fascinating. I, I still have a, a very kind of you know, peripheral interest in that kind of stuff. I don't spend a lot of time reading about it these days, but I think if something comes up like that, I'll check it out for sure. And again, you know, big takeaway is something I've mentioned on this show many times. Was man, it was it was easy to be to be a fucking monster back in the, in the seventies and eighties, wasn't it? I mean, this guy, he, he probably, he could have probably went a, a good long time and not even been caught ever. One could argue, I mean, or at least not been caught until like the two thousands or so due to like DNA or something like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, he was going to work. He was literally telling coworkers, right? Like in a way what he was doing to a degree. And he was, you know, <laughs> just, he had a wife and kids. And he was commuting from Jersey to Manhattan. And then during his lunch break, he would do foul shit. It was just amazing, right, Mike? Yeah, well, he, didn't he work like some kind of second shift too, where his, he, yeah, he started yeah. like late in the day and work into the night, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that one scene where he walked past the police at like five in the morning with the big duffel bag with the body parts in it and, and the cops just stop him and they say, where are you going? I'm just going to get something to eat. Okay. <laughs> He's got head and God knows what in a bag. It's like, yeah, that's what things were like. Unfucking believable. <laughs> I, um, I checked out that uh, Don't Look Up thing on Netflix. Uh, um, so did I. Didn't, uh, didn't love it. What about you? I thought it was pretty good. It was funny. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I, I would rather it's not very uplifting you know what i mean no, no. <laughs> but uh not very uplifting uplifting you're right um i don't know i thought that it i don't know I, I maybe i wanted it to be funnier but maybe it wasn't supposed to be funny and then it kind of like tripped me up as to what exactly they were going for in a way you know well um, you know it's a reaction to all these like uh you know nitwits out there who don't believe in science and you know no, I got that. Yeah. yeah, got that. I just, I don't know. I mean, and th but then like you think about the people in the movie and everyone in the movie is like, you know, like basically ultra rich themselves. And, you know, like it's just kind of like, I don't know. It's kind of just like theater. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I know the director's heart was probably in the right place, but it's like uh, th these people are a part of the problem too is what I guess what I'm getting at, you know? Yeah. But some people are definitely a bigger problem than others. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I'm not, you know, yeah, it's, I, yeah. I mean, everyone plays a part, but there are definitely some people out there who are bigger problems than others too. You know what I mean? It does make you think about what, well, what would you do if you were armed with this information that you basically had six months left? Be interesting, right? Yeah. I, mean, oh, I don't know. That's a good, uh, I, I like I like apocalyptic shit like that. You know, that's why I thought it'd be I wanted it to be more terrifying, you know, because that's a Yeah, maybe that that's that was a little 
my a little bit more of my thought process too. Um, you know, I guess because you and I grew up watching the day after, which we've talked about on the show, and, sure. you know, things like that. And um, this was not the day after. This was, I mean, this was about something, you know, not due to nuclear war or, or political, you know, whatever, you know, fighting Russia or whatever, things like that. This was due to something else, you know, something a little more uh, in the hands of man that apparently, you know, was our fault in a way, right? Well, that, that's the funniest. That is the takeaway. That's the funniest thing about it is that it, it, it was avoidable. And if we yes. just gotten our shit together, we probably would have been okay. And then the, then the plan they had to like potentially make it not happen, well, fell apart and didn't work. And, you know, that was. <laughs> yeah, that, it was like this totally half assed by like some, some private right. private guy, like some Elon Musk style, you know, super mm-hmm. genius who fucked it up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, food for thought, as they say, right? Yeah. What I have checked out, and this is definitely going to be a, a very niche kind of thing, is um, I've been I've been reading the uh, reboot of Weird Tales. I don't know if you've checked any of those out. It's um, Weird Tales, of course, was the magazine from the early 20th century that, that gave uh, a career to Robert E. Howard and... Um, Clark Ashton Smith and H.P. Lovecraft. And yeah, yeah. Who who has relaunched it, Mike? Uh I think they're called Strange Eons, this company. Oh. Nice. And um, yeah, I, I have the I have some of the issues on on Kindle. Oh, very cool. Okay. Very, very high quality weird fiction. If anyone out oh, there wants to check it out, I check it out. Okay. highly recommend it. And um, and yeah, you know, I've been reading just, you know. Like the Swamp Thing, I have like the the color the box set of the Alan Moore stuff. Oh, excellent! Now check yeah, this out. Mm-hmm. Th- this is some some fucking weird shit, man. I thought those comics had come out in the nineties. They did not. They came out in the eighties. Yeah, no, I knew that. Yeah, 80s. I, I was always. I have memories in the nineteen nineties of reading the Swamp Thing. So I don't know. Maybe I'm all fucked up. No, I believe his run. Alan Moore takes over the book. 84. Oh, 84. 84. Oh, wow. Yeah, only... I remember I was, I was young. I mean, I remember yeah. hearing about it. I was too young to be reading Alan Moore in 84. I was I was 11. But I used to see those cool covers on the rack, you know, when I was buying my Secret Wars and my, you know, X-Men and Batman, which was pretty much all I bought uh, probably at 11, 12. But I always saw those covers and I was very intrigued by them. Um, and then by the time I was about... 15 i started buying horror comics yeah and i wish i probably was buying uh swamp thing then but i was buying hellblazer and i was buying hellraiser the uh, prestige issue hellraiser oh yeah those are great yeah from uh yeah those were awesome and they were a little more money than the comics so yeah i i by the time i i jumped in um Yes, I, I mean, Swamp Thing, I wonder what they, I don't know. I, I wonder if Elon Moore was still writing by 88, 89. He might have been. His like, run uh, ended in 87, so it's 84 oh, through yeah, 87. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't, 1984, I wasn't reading it, but I, I, that's why I bought this box set, because I, I didn't read those original ones, like the first couple of years, really. You know, I got on yeah. board maybe uh, 86, 87, 
And then he ended. And then uh, I remember as a result of that, I was like, okay, Watchmen, you know, all that shit. You know, like V for Vendetta mm-hmm. was like later than that. And I was on board with Alan Moore. Yeah. So, yeah, listeners, uh, we would definitely recommend, um, you know, picking up, say, volume one of the Alan Moore run, you know, of volume one of the trades. If you wanted to check out some really great horror comics you know get all six Um, of them man yeah yeah i mean just you know to 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 get started you know see if you (laughs) like it um it's it's really good shit it's good writing good art and it's it's you know it it kind of changed comics at the time you know uh right by like the mid 80s when you get your dark knight and you get your, your swamp thing and it was like the changing of the guard of modern comics mike you know yeah, no, totally, man. But I have a, a false memory of reading Swamp Thing in the 90s. Isn't that weird? <laughs> okay. Yeah, that happens, dude. That yeah. happens. Yeah. That happens to me with like, musical things, too. You yeah. know? And movies, right? Yeah, and movies. Totally. And uh, yeah, and just I've just been listening exclusively to black metal for like the last uh, two weeks, actually. Oh, nice. Been getting, Any, uh, anything you like to share? <laughs> Yeah, you know, probably stuff you probably heard, like uh, Nightbringer, um, mm-hmm. American band. And uh, there's a related band called Eclis, which is uh, the mm-hmm. same dude. And um, check that out. Of course, you and I were talking about, uh, you know, Hate Forest and Windswept and uh, Drudka. Drudka, you know, yeah, all the old shoot bands, Precambrian, Rat and Fanger. Uh, they're busy people over there in the Ukraine. They've got, uh, they've got a lot of bands over there. Yeah. Yeah, so I've mean, <laughs> just been thing, like... Dude. I've just been digging deep into all that kind of stuff lately. That's cool. I've been listening to uh, Revenge a lot. And Revenge, I mean, you you could argue that once you've heard one Revenge record, you might have heard all their records because they are a band. They're like, you know, they're kind of like the ACDC of the bestial war black metal, you know. But as they move on, as, as you get to the new stuff, say like the 2020 record, they have upped the ante of the recording quality just a little bit. Um, they haven't changed stylistically, but I do think that they've, they've shot a little higher, maybe in the studio a little bit, which I think is kind of cool. Um, and I noticed that too about this band Ride for Revenge from Finland that I like. They just dropped a brand new record. Um, and they too, I feel like, okay, ooh, like they... I think they put a little more into the recording here that I hear as, as, a, as someone who's heard all their other shit. And it's like, it makes for a fucking even better listen, you know? Yeah. That was my only beef with some of, um, I mean, you know, revenge is cool. Like conqueror, like all those bands, mm-hmm. but you know, the recordings are kind of like, you can't barely tell what the hell's going on really. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it's, it's funny though, because, the last time I saw them live was at Vitus, right? Right. And it was packed to the git. Like, they're bigger than you kind of even realize they are. Like, people, like, really like them. Yeah. And you can watch their whole set, and one could argue that, well, a lot of it is extremely similar, you know? So, I, and, and <laughs> it must be interesting to be in a band like that about composing your new song, like, you know, composing a new song from scratch that doesn't sound exactly like something else that you've already composed, you know, because of the style of black metal you're playing, you know? Yeah. It's just gotta be balls out extreme fucking aggression. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
but uh, yeah, they're like a fun listen. And um, Nocturnal Grapes, your 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 label mates on yep. Season of Myth, they dropped a new record for, uh, Friday. Yeah, they're, uh, they're awesome. Good. Yeah, yeah, Australian. Uh, check that out. Um, I have that on the way. I ordered it. Dude, um, I I am a fucking rep. I represent Australian metal, man. I love so many <laughs> so many bands from Australia are sick. You know, like Psychroptic. Um, you know, Diocletian's Australian, I believe. Uh, oh, New Zealand. New Zealand, New Zealand. Yeah. Right. All right. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, King, Black Helm, Werewolves. All those mm. bands are great, man. Sorry about the uh, Kiwi uh, inclusion there. Pardon. Pardon. Yeah, to understand that ruffles some feathers. If you, yeah. if you, uh, <laughs> of course, Destroyer there. 666, you know, great yeah. bands. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. They, 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 there's some in the water down there. They, they, they're, they all go hard. There's the, there's no there's no emo metal down there, Mike. No, there's no, no uh, there, there's no like you know avant garde. Uh, well, you know that I'm aware of, right? Actually, there's an one of my favorite bands from Australia is this band called the Amenta, and mm-hmm. um, oh, I've heard of them. Yeah, I've heard yeah, no, they're they're great, man. And and mm-hmm. actually, this the, this one guy, this guy Dave Haley, is like the drummer in like almost all these bands, and uh, he. I, he's he is the metal scene in Australia. It seems like, to me. <laughs> and um, but he's also in the Amenta, and the Amenta are very uh, diverse in the type of things. Yeah, that they, I, that they I, grab I, from. I know who they are. They, they're they're very interesting band. Yeah, I've heard yeah. them. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites from down there. Very cool. So, uh, listeners, you get you get everything sometimes on this show. You know, you get our little thoughts on on society and and. And, and the environment, and then you get a little a little one on one on Australian death and black metal, right, Mike? Yeah, man. Exactly. And, and then, of course, you get what you've come here for, and that is horror, because this is the horror podcast. Uh, tonight, we're going to Italy, like we said. Um, Sergio Martino, Mike. Uh, let's, let's. I'm going to make a little statement here. If we were to have, for me personally, a big four uh, of the Italian directors okay for the horror you know giallo horror you know genre kind of stuff i would i'm going to put mario bava at the top i'm going to put dario gento as the second i'm going to put lucio fulci as the third and for me i i kind of just i i stacked martino and deodato kind of side by side um, and I feel like he, for me, is the stronger director, and I like his movies more. And I also would throw Umberto Lenzi into the mix as well. He's made a lot of bangers, Umberto Lenzi. And I don't know. I, I really think Martino should get more props. And he kind of does, actually. Yeah, I mean, he's done mm-hmm. like some of my favorite Giallo films, man. All the Colors of the Dark, uh, The Wind mm-hmm. in the Body. Um your vice is a locked room, and only I have the key. Yes, which is one of the best fucking titles ever. <laughs> yeah, Pace of the Bloody Iris. Yeah, um, he's you know he, he all the, the his his non uh, Edwija uh, films uh, torso, great fucking uh, Jallo. Is uh, another one called Suspicious Death of a Minor, which is cool, kind of from seventy five, the latter end. Uh, he even. Uh, did some sex comedies with uh, Edwidge, uh, Sex with a Smile, Giovanna Longthigh. Uh, he's kind of, you know, he's dipped his toes in, in a lot. Um, 
you know, Case of Scorpion's Tale. Uh, she's not in that one. That's another great one. Um, I actually had the uh, the privilege of meeting him at Chiller about ten years ago, actually, and I have a, I have a photo with him That's that awesome. I'll, I'll I'll plunk down on on the Instagram um, once this episode airs. And yeah, I got his autograph on a few things, and um, I was with my buddy Mark uh, Yoshitomi from Generation, and and Mark had had a bunch of cool stuff to get signed, and he Mark gave me like a, a like a, this kind of ad, ad slick, and he, he <laughs> Sergio accidentally signed mine to Mark <laughs> instead <laughs> of Mike, and I you know I just kept it anyway, and I was like eh, close enough <laughs> because kind of like you know he's rare black and white, you know, one of a kind things. Like I'm like, Oh, I don't want to cross it out. So I'll just, you know, I'll keep it. It's just the mark. Fuck it. You know, but, uh, Hey, English was, is not his first language. It, you know, these things are bound to happen, but he was really nice and really cool. And yeah, he got a lot of love at uh chiller. I remember a lot of people were looking to meet him and he was, uh, he was definitely, uh, inundated with questions as to whether, uh, Ed Weege would ever come and do chiller. And well, that answer is a, is probably a hard no, <laughs> she she doesn't do cons um anywhere to my knowledge actually um but uh yeah that was a really cool day yeah martino's still active too man he had uh the napolitans which came out in 2018 you know yes yes and um listeners i i learned in the early 90s he did something with uh at reach for next for italian television that sounds really cool uh, called Private Crimes. It was like a, a like a limited Italian TV mystery, and uh, I'm gonna be on the hunt looking for that. And then he did. Uh, there's a movie that that she did that I was kind of unfamiliar with from 1988, directed by Deodato, called Phantom of Death. That you know, I have a funny feeling like might even be like on YouTube or something like that. But uh, yeah, I've never actually heard of that movie, so I want to check that one out. Yeah, so the the title of tonight's film. Is uh is the strange vice of Mrs. Ward, and that's Ward with an H. Yeah, W A R D H. Great title for a movie. I mean, it's you know the cool thing about uh, Gialli is uh, nine point five times out of ten you get a great title, right? Always. And and definitely one of the best ones. And I think um, I'm gonna you know go out on a limb and say that her strange vice was kinky sex. Well, <laughs> what do you think a strange vice was? Uh, well, specifically, she had like a blood fetish. Yeah, that too. It's almost yeah. it, it's a little more to it than you know sex. I'm being a little facetious, but she did have a blood fetish where she liked it slash was horrified by it. Right? Yeah. But I also feel like she was a, addicted to. I guess dangerous dudes and danger and excitement and you know like yeah for sure you know totally I mean right, you know, right. Like, she had like a self destructive sort of uh, you know trip going on as um as a lot of the women in these films often do these characters you know yeah absolutely I mean you you do not want a boring heroine in your giallo Mike right. <laughs> you, need have, you need to have an exciting you know woman. But uh, a little bit about uh, the legend herself, uh, Edwige Fenech, born December 24th, 1948. I gave her her birthday props the other day on, on our Instagram. I've noticed every time I make a post about her, those posts do very well. My, 
would you say she is quite beloved in the horror world? Yeah, she's a legend. You know, she's she's one of those legendary European uh, actresses in in these types of films, especially you know in the horror genre. And uh, she's yeah. you know beautiful lady too. You know, and it's just amazing how I feel like you know I really really started getting into the Italian stuff in the late nineties, but I remember specifically to the early O's, early to mid O's when she blew up like. Um, and you would just kind of see all of her movies got reissued like, like a flood. I remember, uh, initially on VHS and then during the big DVD boom, like people were just freaking out and were buying everything she was in that became available on uh, American region DVDs. That was kind of a fun time, you know? Um, she is Algerian born Maltese Sicilian, um, you know, a lot of people under the impression that she was, you know, like full Italian, but she, you know, she's not. She's kind of like a French, Maltese, Sicilian mix. Um, interesting side note, uh, she was married to producer Luciano Martino for about eight or nine years. Uh, Luciano Martino was the producer of pretty much a, a very large chunk of his brother Sergio's films. Um Luciano uh, kind of discovered her on a movie that he was producing, uh, Madame Bovary, well, a movie that I'm, I'm familiar with, but I've never actually seen it it's from 1969 that uh, Edwige was in. And they, you know, they struck up a relationship and I, I believe they have one uh, child together, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, that's kind of how she, she got really in tight with the, you know, the Martino uh, family, so to speak. Uh, the Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward is the first of a series of films, you know, uh, of the collaboration with Luciano, Sergio, and her. Uh, in 1972, they did the amazing All the Colors of the Dark, which we've mentioned on the show before. Uh, that has that cool cult angle, Mike, and great music. Yep. Um, also in 1972, Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key. Great, great movie. And then uh, after that, The Case of the Bloody Iris. I honestly would recommend all four of these films. Mike, what about you? Yeah, I mean, um, All the Colors of the Dark are, is like probably my favorite out of the ones you just mentioned. That That's a really good one. And, and I think that's on Shudder too, right? Yeah. Um, the cool thing is, again, I mean, I would say largely due to her popularity and uh, who, uh, you know, the, the film companies that have the rights to a lot of these movies, like, you know, your Severins or your you know, your blue undergrounds or whatever. Uh, yeah, the, the streaming availability for a lot of these is there, which is fucking great. Uh, other notable uh, Edwidge films, uh, listeners, $5 for an August Moon from 1970, Mario Bava. I love that movie. I love the the, the soundtrack for that movie. is really cool. Uh, Secrets of a Call Girl, uh, which I have the DVD uh, from uh, from 1972. And uh, another one that's uh, readily uh, readily available on like Blu-ray and on I believe it's on some streaming services, the very sleazy strip nude for your killer. You ever seen that one, Mike? I haven't seen that. That it's good. She she has very short hair in that movie. Um, she's not she's in a, a good chunk of it, but I mean she kind of sells it because she's in it, but she's not the main focus of that movie actually. Uh, it's it's decent decent movie, not as good to me, as any of the Martino-directed films. Again, it's it's like, when you get to the latter end of the Giallo films, folks, they get really sleazy, 
<laughs> like if you think some of these are sleazy, they get real grimy almost, you know? And that one is, yeah, has some interesting scenes in it. Strip nude for your killer. How's that for a title? That's not as good as uh, your vice is a locked room and only I have the key. <laughs> and, and how about the fact that uh, in a scene during A Strange Fight with Mrs. Ward, they throw that phrase out there. Yeah, that's right. That was interesting, huh? A little, little foreshadow of the next movie uh, Martino was going to make. You know, kind of cool. That's, that's like a weird, weird specific phrase that like a really obsessive guy would say to a girl. Don't you think? It is, and it also uh, it it seems like that could be the name of a like a early like a two thousand four uh, screamo band or something like that. Yeah! Oh my God! I can't believe that the you know the emo core emo metal core thing didn't jump on some of these titles yeah. and steal them for the names of their bands. That ship has sailed though, so oh, yeah, I don't want to totally. see that happen now. Yeah. How dare you steal our idea? Uh, you better <laughs> steal our idea. But uh, what would really be cooler is if, like, you know, a death or a black metal band would take some of the song titles and make cool songs out of them. To me, I think that would be far fucking cooler, don't you think, Mike? Yeah, because, like, a lot of those guys, like, they probably don't even like the movies. You know what I mean? They just, you know, like, well, oh, <laughs> right. this title sounds cool, so let's grab it. You know, like, like plot to blow up the Eiffel Tower or something like that. You know, like, those, those are the bands that have the funny names and weird, like, Spock haircuts and stuff, you know? I'm going to give uh, a little a little metal uh, Edwige trivia. Uh, Cathedral does have a song about her called Edwige's Eyes. Did you know that? I did, actually, because I like Cathedral. Yeah, cool song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Lee Dorian knows what's up. He, he knew to write a cool song about her, and I believe uh, there's a video for it, too. You know, check it out on YouTube. Um, and, I mean, I have a funny feeling there might be other songs about her somewhere out there, but that's literally the only one I'm aware of. Uh, as we're doing this podcast. <laughs> uh, but back to the movie itself, Mike. Uh, we, we were saying before the show started how how f fun of, of a Jallo this is. Look, Jallos are not for everybody. Uh, I, I've come to learn, actually, a, a good a good little chunk of my friends who like horror don't like them at all, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I've run into the same thing. It's like, the thing, it's... It's definitely an acquired taste. It's something that's very niche. And also, you get like a cool package. You get, you know, beautiful women. You get cool imagery. You get a plot that sometimes is convoluted and doesn't really make sense in certain points. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and you get a very cool uh, score, usually, like a soundtrack score that goes with it. Usually, they have great music in these films, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, what happened in Italy was... You know, Mario Baba really set all this in motion uh, in the 60s. And then there was a little bit of a lull where you weren't seeing these movies. Argento re resurrects it in 69 uh, with the bird with the crystal plumage, which fucking shook the whole game uh, in Italy. And the success of that movie and the success of his subsequent movies, uh, Cat and Nine Tails and Four Flies on Great Velvet, really kicks all this into gear immediately in Italy. And which where you have uh, Mrs. Ward coming out in 71, right around the time of uh, basically, I think, you know, either Cat of Nine Tales or Four Flies of Grey Velvet. In my opinion, you know, controversial maybe, 
I I like this better than the second and third Argento movies, as far as Jello goes, Mike. I I, I love Cat and Nine Tales. Four Flies and Grey Velvet is a little weird. This movie is way more fun and more watchable than those two movies, though, for me personally. It's um, I, I kind of like Martino's style in this movie. You know, mm-hmm. like the imagery and and kind of the way everything looks, and uh, you know that and and it just I don't know I I. I think i might agree with you on that yeah um i love the music it, c- comparing it to say that you know the earlier argento i love the music in cat and nine tails and four flies the movies i don't know they don't have the watchability like i love bird with crystal plumage i like i fucking i've watched that movie many many times i saw it in a theater um i love that soundtrack uh but this one hits a bit better there, there, there is something about this one that's really cool uh, the vibe and uh, the characters. Uh, it's got George Hilton. George Hilton, you 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 recognize his face. He's done a ton of Dallas himself. He's done other movies with uh, Ed Weege. He's also in uh, All the Colors of the Dark. He's just that that kind of typical handsome, you know, handsome seventies guy, right, Mike? Oh, you mean Jorge Hill Acosta Jorge Hill. Ilara? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I call him George Hill. George Hill. Uh, Jorge. I would highly recommend just watching any any extras of any movie that he's in, the interviews he does. He is the fucking Mac Daddy. He is just, there was something about this guy that you just wanted to just hang out with this guy and like, you know, get drunk or listen to him talk about stories about the 70s like all day long. Um, and then you have Ivan Rasimov. Another one of the striking, striking kind of features on that guy, right? Um, just very like, he just looked like a, like this menacing, uh, almost like, I don't know, like a Jekyll and Hyde, like male 70s model look about him, right? Like this, like, I don't know, hard to describe. Yeah, he's got like a very intimidating look, definitely. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, we got a little ahead of ourselves. We didn't really talk about the cast. We're kind of throwing out the names a little, well, right? You're, yeah, I mean, you, you, you kind of started listing the cast out. So, you know, we got... We got George Hamilton. We got Ivan Rasimov. Then we got, of course, uh, Ed, I'm going to fuck her name up because Edwige Fennick. We have um, yep. as as Julie, as Julie Ward. Ward. Yep. Uh-huh. Conchita Eraldi as Carol Brandt, and that's uh, uh, gorgeous woman. She's also in Torso, by the way. Gorgeous. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that's uh, that's George's cousin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roberto Di Mendoza is uh, Neil Ward. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to give uh, the, a credit to the, the the actual razor killer, Bruno Corazari. Yes, exactly. Um, so as far as the, the, the rough plot of this movie is, in Vienna, there is a homicidal maniac on the loose, killing women. A sex maniac. Uh, <laughs> sex maniac, specifically. They say sex maniac yeah. uh, a few times, specifically. This movie starts out kind of right out of the gate, kind of gangbusters, kind of like the way, um, you know, House on the Edge of the Park does with like a rape immediately. Uh, this movie immediately starts with a vicious razor killing. <laughs> um, you know, again, these movies are not for everybody, but honestly, I almost feel like, like the, the, the way, like the color of the blood and just the atmosphere, I don't know. I don't get the whole... Oh my god! I, like I, I don't get the whole savagery um, in this particular giallo that I, I wouldn't say others. I don't know why. 
Well, one uh, of the maybe th- not his first killing. One, of, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting is they had they flashed this um, this uh, quote uh, from yeah. From, uh, yeah, they talk about how man man right. is like generations of murderers and all this kind of stuff, and it kind of gives context to the savagery that's about to uh, to unfold. You know, mm-hmm. and, and um, I, you know, I, I, there's a little bit of a statement, I guess, an attempt at making some kind of statement about the human condition, maybe, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know. I, li- I like when they put these like philosophical contexts within these films. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of that. There's a, you know, there are a bunch of those lines in Argento's Tenebrae where they do that. But yeah, this movie kicks off with the following. Uh, a title card that says the very fact that the commandment says do not kill makes us aware and convinced that we are descended from an unbroken chain of generations of assassins for whom the love of murder was in their blood as it is perhaps in ours Sigmund Freud in a weird way it almost makes you think you're going to see one kind of movie and then you get another kind of movie though right it's it's almost it's, a little, it's very very dark I mean, the movie is dark, but it's, I almost feel like it's more, I don't know. I don't want to say light. It's not light, but I don't think it's as menacing as that title card. I I don't 100% agree with that, actually. Like, there's a couple things going on. Number one, the fact that it's it's an Italian film and and the card that, that quote refers to the Ten Commandments and, you know, Italy is like a heavily Catholic, you know, like a country. And, um, you know, also being uh, an Italian-American myself, I grew up with a very heavy uh, Roman Catholic trip going on when I was a kid. And, you know, the Ten Commandments and, uh, you know, murder and all this like sort of uh, passionate stuff, I think, is a precursor. And, you know, let's break it down, man. The movie deals with uh, sexual perversion, um, Mm -hmm. murder. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a fun movie, but also these are, you know, topics I think that fit right along, you know, treachery, there's right. de- deceit, deception, yeah, infidelity, infidelity, mm-hmm. like all these, like, um, you know, breaking all these commandments, you know, basically. Interesting. Okay. You know, all right. You know, and, and I, I, uh, I am not a practicing Catholic. Like I don't, I'm not religious really. Um, but culturally, a lot of that stuff still resonates with me. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Interesting. See, there's always a little more going on in some of these town movies, folks. Ne- don't, never dismiss them. Um, but yeah, we we meet uh, after this this killing uh, of a of a woman. Uh, we meet Julie Ward and her diplomat husband Neil. They're returning from New York. Um, apparently, she married Neil to escape her abusive former lover Jean. Who lives in Vienna? Uh, Jean is uh, Isaac uh, Ivan uh, Rasimov, um, and Jean is is a super creep. Uh, he's stalking Julie. He's you know, uh, we get these flashbacks of the times that they were together. Let's just say they enjoyed a bit of very rough, intense sex. Mike Hill, what do you think? Definitely, mm-hmm. and and you also get the sense that Neil is is like the comfort. Uh, you know, marriage, you know, like you, you, yeah, touched, you yeah. touched on that where it's like this, she went for the security as a, as, instead of the, the excitement, you know, he's, you know, he's the polar opposite. Um, the one thing that kind of tripped me up a little bit was 
with some of the flashbacks, I almost kind of thought that they were happening in the, like she was still hooking up with him. But apparently I don't think that was the case. That That's my mm-hmm. one criticism about this, this film is um, if you have, if you've seen it for the first time, you might, get confused and that's why in the yeah. beginning of this yeah, say, yeah. Mm-hmm. sometimes it's very confusing to watch these movies like like normally you would see uh you would know you're in a flashback like they would do something with the with the cinematography or you know there would be like a you know like there'd be a different characteristic that would key you into the fact that it's a flashback but they don't do that in this movie no they don't uh the the striking early flashback uh has this wonderful score in the background this movie was uh, well, the whole movie was scored by Nora Orlandi. Uh, amazing, amazing fucking score. Um, some of this music was used in Kill Bill 2 in the movie, but it was not on the subsequent Kill Bill 2, you know, CD or vinyl soundtracks. It was in the movie only, actually. Uh, I, I remember even the scenes it, it was. It was uh, kind of earlier on in the film. But... Um, yeah, I actually have this uh, CD from Hexacord, and I, I looked up on Discogs. It's it's worth a pretty penny, the CD I have, and I have uh, an LP version too, but for some reason, this particular CD goes for like 80 bucks or whatever. I was like, oh, cool. Um, really cool music from Nora Orlandi uh, that you, you hear in the background, you know, when you see these very kind of uh, erotically charged uh, flashbacks that... Yeah, I, I definitely could see how one might think that, okay, is she still hooking up with him or not? That's not really sure, but I'm going to say that these are all in the past because she, when she sees him in other scenes, she is like repulsed, you know, she's afraid of him. You know what I'm saying? So I almost feel like she's definitely not currently hooking up with him anymore. But, you know, what do you think? No, for sure she's not hooking up with him anymore because, uh, you know, he's he's out there stalking her. And, um, right. yeah. you know, she's trying to, like, live her a better, safer life, you know, but you can tell that she's uh, misses the excitement, maybe, shall we say. Yeah, exactly. Um, later on, we meet her, her good friend Carol, uh, the blonde pay, played by Conchita uh, Arialdi, who I mentioned was in Torso, another cool uh, Sergio Martino film. And she has a cousin, uh, the the handsome and dashing uh, George Hilton, who goes by the name, you know, the character name is uh, George Coro. Um, the, you know, that who plays her, her cousin, I'm sorry. And, you know, we learned that their uncle has died and that the two of them are the only heirs of his fortune. And, of course, George sees, you know, the, the stunning Edwidge Fennec and he's, like, immediately flirting with her. And she finds out, you know, She's unhappy in her marriage, and you know you can kind well, of. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't take much coercion for uh, for you know. No, no. Yeah, for Mrs. Ward to uh, go outside of the uh, you know the relationship there. Right, right, and then of course they they're you know by the time they start hooking up, it's also this very kind of you know dramatic scene with the music. Although there's no violence in their sex, listeners. The the violence apparently only took place while she was hooking up with Jean. Uh, with George, I'll say it's a bit more tender, Mike. <laughs> yeah, he's like this exciting guy. You know, he rides around on a motorcycle, all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? He's like sweeping her off her feet. You know, it's exactly romantic sort of guy. But, you know, her, uh, her husband is, you know, busy working and making money and this sort of thing. 
Yeah, and like we said, listeners, while all this happening, there's a killer on the loose, killing people with the razor. And of course, if you're watching the movie, you're you're immediately thinking that the killer is uh, Jean, right, Mike? You know, he would be the obvious choice because he seems like the kind of guy that would slash someone up with a knife, you know. But uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, so they're setting that up now. Let let's just draw a little summary here. Let's underscore the fact that Carol and George are the sole heirs of this huge sum of money. Yes. Okay, it's important. That's important to remember. The thing is, though, you, you kind of don't remember that as you're watching this no, movie. No, you don't. You don't. And that and once again, that ties into the fact that some of these plots are pretty convoluted. You know what I mean? You don't remember that. Now, listeners, uh, we here on the show back in the day, in, in, our, in our inception, and, and for several years... We would go through every beat of a film, or nearly every beat of a yeah, film. Yeah, we decided not uh, to do that. An older movie, right? Yeah. This movie is from nineteen seventy-one. It's a movie that um, I don't know what what percentage-wise would you say our listeners are familiar with this movie, Mike? If you well, give a guesstimate, you know it's funny. Like I, I'm going to say that I think that Giallo, Gialli is not mm-hmm. that popular with people, really. Mm. You know, so I wouldn't maybe 50 50, maybe half of the people have seen this okay. and half have maybe even 60 40 with the 60 being not as super familiar. Because I, I'm going to say that out of all the people that I know that love horror films, I would say only half of them are fans of Gialli. Yeah, and it's funny. Um, two of the guys who really put me on, on, on the course of Italian films, one being my buddy Mark Yoshitomi, and another being my friend Pad Legere were super duper giallo euro horror people so i think that is what that is what really kind of shaped me i guess as as the, the years went by but i do realize that not everybody's like that but my point is this we're not going to give every beat of the film um for two reasons number one it's boring yeah. and number two if you haven't seen it we want you to see the movie right mike I, I urge everyone to see it. If this is at all interesting to you, it's a it's, it's one of the better films in this uh, genre. It is. Well, I, I'm going to say a, l- a little more about it. Um, this movie is different uh, from a, a bunch of other Gialli in a way that it's it's ending that we're not going to give away. Is it's kind of bonkers. Uh, I was talking to Mike before we started. Whereas, you know how. With your deep red ending, you find out, and spoiler alert, I'm going to spoil the ending of Deep Red, which, shame on you, you should know if you don't. Um, you, you know, when, when you see that it, it is it is the mother, and, you know, it, it, it makes sense. You know what I'm saying? you They show that little moment in the mirror where you literally see her face in the beginning of the movie if you weren't really paying attention. I mean, that's like one of the, like the coolest endings ever. I actually... I literally think Deep Red is my number one giallo, to be totally honest. Like, I, I thought about that before the show. Um, the ending of Tenebrae is fucking great. Uh, we've covered it on the show, folks. Go back and listen to it. Um, when you learn that it's Peter Neal, it has this fucking really cool uh, camera moment when you see his face. And it all just kind of makes sense that he's the killer. And you learn about his traumatic moments when he was a young man and this and that. And it's his issues with women and sex, blah, blah, blah. This movie though, you get, <laughs> you get like a, like almost like a three way deception, Mike. 
There's a no. very yeah. There's there's um, they went too there's far. To mm-hmm. They went too far with the conspiratorial stuff in this film. I thought, you know what I mean? Like, I can see like some you know. Okay, okay. You got you got a, a guy slashing up women out there on the streets. You got Jean who would be a prime candidate for a guy who would do that. Mm-hmm. And then you have um, you know all this like sex stuff, and you got. Uh, you know, deception with money and all this kind of things. and mm-hmm. But there was too much, like, there was, like, three deceptions. And one would have been fine. You know, <laughs> one, yeah. one, one would have been enough. But three, mm-hmm. just a little bit, a little too much that pushes it into the realm of, um, you know, you, you, it's, like, a little too much to bite off sometimes. You know what I mean? But what's funny, though, for, but for me, though, it makes this. It actually makes it stand out as jolly, and it also it doesn't really ruin the movie or anything. It's just like a. It just it's it makes it kind of memorable in some ways, but for other people, it might make it frustrating. Mike, is that kind of what we're getting at? I yes, I'm going to warn you guys out there that it might be a little frustrating. But when you watch this type of film, okay, you have to take a leap of faith mm-hmm. that the things that you see are not always going to make 100% sense and might defy logic at times. Oh, yeah. And that's not why you're going to watch this movie. You're going to watch it because it's, it's cool. You know, there's like beautiful women and European women in it. It's uh, stylish and there's a great score. You mm-hmm. know, and there's like, um, you know, e- even the violence isn't, isn't like good, horrifying. But there's good kill scenes. There's good kill scenes, I think. Yeah, there, and it's not particularly horrifying. It's like this, you no. know, like it's very stylish. The whole thing has a style to it. And you either like it or you don't like it, you know, and I guess that's kind of where I'm going with this. It's like, you know, if you're into it, yeah, this is great. But if you're not familiar with these types of films, and, and it's not just European horror because it's just it's a very specific type of European horror, then you're right. not, not going to buy into it, you know. Agree. Totally agree. Um, I actually think, uh, you know, putting this up against uh, some of the other uh, Edwige movies, this this is like, I think, one of her her best movies, even as far as her performance. Um, you know, I think that it's 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 a well done movie in a lot of ways. If you take away a little bit of the frustration of the ending, you know, um, it, it's still a really solid movie and i think the reason it gets its props from people is i mean is is because of these things that we've pointed out but it has a lot of good going for it you know yeah um people put it up a lot of people say that yeah this is a top five of all time jolly a lot of people say this is sergio martino's best film ever a lot of people even say this is edwidge's best film ever and if you see it you're gonna see why people say that you know um I don't know. I think, I believe this is still on Shutter right now, which is great. I watched it. Um, I have the Severin uh, limited 3,000 units uh, Blu-ray that, that comes with the soundtrack, which is really fucking cool. And it comes with really nice extras. Do you have this disc, Mike, or no? I do not. I uh, And I can confirm that this is still on Shutter because that's how I watched it. And, uh, oh, great. Oh, actually, great. most of these films that we discussed are on Shutter, like All the Colors of the Dark. Uh, yeah, your vice is a locked room, and only I have the key is also mm-hmm. on shutter. There's a ton of Giallo films on there. 
Yeah, and I think uh, even like Mario Bava has some on Shutter, but a, a lot of his, like $5 for an August moon, I think is pretty available too if you wanted to check that one out. Um, you know, this is a lot of fun. And, you know, I we'd be remiss to not mention something uh, about Edwige uh, before we gave our, our scores. Um, although she, she lives a very kind of private life uh, over the last 20 years or so, um, in 2004, she co-produced the movie The Merchant of Venice with Al Pacino. Did you know that? I was unaware of that. Yes, she did, yeah. And um, famously, of course, back in 2007, Eli Roth uh, convinced her to have her really cool cameo in Hostel 2 as the uh, very uh, attractive art class professor, as many uh, you know listeners may know. Uh, and then, of course, Quentin Tarantino is such a fan of hers uh, he named the character in Inglorious Bastards, uh, Lieutenant Ed Fennec in her. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's funny. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And she went to the Italian premiere of the movie back then, too. That's kind of cool. But yeah, she's a private person. Uh, if you're looking to ever meet her, I, I don't think you ever will. Um, sadly, she's, to me, one of the biggest gets ever for me for an autograph would be her. And right behind her would be uh, Ozzy Argento, who seemingly also does not do conventions. But I don't know. I feel like one day she's going to do them, uh, Ozzy. Who knows? Um, yeah. It's funny because I have her mother's and father's autograph, but not hers, uh, Ozzy. So hopefully I can com complete the, the family there. Um, but yeah, we, we enjoyed the hell out of this movie. Mr. Hill, what did you give uh, The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward on our scale of one to five? I give it a strong four out of five ah okay i give it 4.5 out of five strong 4.5 i shave it off because um the ending I, I i i like this ending a lot i don't love it it's a little it's a little frustrating it does require a second viewing i mean honestly this movie is is might you may come away with different things on several viewings of this movie uh, as I kind of do, um, the ending, it's not a bad ending, listeners. It's just, it's interesting. I don't know, hard for me to put into words, Mike. Yeah, it's, uh, it might leave you a little scratch in your head, you know, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, just uh, don't don't take our, our word for it. Check it out. It's Check out it there out. on Shutter, and uh, mm -hmm. get, get back to us with your thoughts on it, for sure. Totally. And yeah, we didn't spoil the ending of a 51-year-old 50, uh, movie. How about that? Yeah, That's we're, cool. we're going to try to make a real effort to not do that, I think. <laughs> but like, there's some things, like for example, when, when, um, when Jeff and I discussed Kill List, mm -hmm. you kind of have to talk about the ending if you're going to talk about that yeah. movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like talking about Serbian film and not talking about the ending. Yeah, That's and and I think that that uh, kill list gets a pass because there's so many different interpretations of what the hell is going on in the film. You know that that's part of the fun is to watch it and you you come up with your your take on it. You know what I mean? By the way, I enjoyed that episode. I listened to it, uh, you know, Friday, and I really liked Jeff's ending take. Yeah, I thought very interesting, and it was one that I hadn't read, and I've I've read some different takes on the ending. Jeff is a, a a Ben Wheatley scholar. Ah, okay. yeah, he's he's very knowledgeable on all of Wheatley's, <laughs> uh, you know, his, his work. Um, actually, real quick, I got that um, all the Hauntsby Hours box set, which arrived over the holidays. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a Wheatley film on there. There's uh, a field in England, which is. Um, I need to see that. I want to see that movie in particular. Yeah. I, I believe that's also on Shutter, actually. Okay. Yeah, cool. So check it out. And uh, his extras are great, dude. I haven't. I've been watching. I, I watched that for a solid two days, and I haven't even scratched the surface of all the stuff that's on there. Mm. I mean, it was over the holidays, like around New Year's. I was yeah, that's a lot of stuff, man. That's a lot to yeah, digest. Totally, man. I was like sitting by myself here on New Year's Eve watching this stuff, and the whole following day I watched it, and I there's so much to still go on with. You know what I mean? So Italian Big Four, Michael, what do you think? What do you, what do you, what do you think about the uh, – the potential of Sergio Martino being that number four. I feel like some people might throw Deodato up there largely based on cannibal Holocaust alone. Yeah, see, I, I, I'm not a Deodato fan per se. I, I, I like Martino more than him. I, I would put him over Deodato. I would put um, Michele Suave in there, not as a yeah, four. Yeah, he's in the running. He's, he's in the running. It's, I don't think his volume, though. It's yeah. his... It's, his horror volume is not there next to say Martino's, but he's no, he's up there. Um, you know, uh, there's definitely some other names. Some people might even argue that uh, Lamberto Baba, Mario Baba's son, could be thrown around. But in my opinion, we got fucking Mario Baba. We might not need Lamberto Baba. <laughs> yeah. No slight at Lamberto. Uh, he made some cool movies, but you know. Um, on, on the strength of uh, Suave's Della Morte, Della More, that goes. That's probably yeah. one of, that's one of my favorite European horror films. Yeah, see, it's it's interesting. Listeners, think about an Italian big four, and, and let us know once after this episode drops. I, I want you to think about who who would be up there on the on on the Mount Rushmore alongside uh, Mario Bava, Dario Argento, and Lucio Fulci. Um, you know, it's it's interesting, fun little question to pose, Michael. Yeah, Suave is like uh, like the testament or exodus of the big four. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they're yeah, not, they're not up there with Anthrax, Metallica, Megadeth. You know, Slayer, but <laughs> but they're they're there. They're in the running. You know, it, it's funny. I tonight I posted this thing on my Facebook page that uh, I saw on on a metal message board that I go on about Metallica's record sale. <laughs> between 1983 and 2020 and my biggest takeaway after watching this little clip was there is no big four it's metallica and them graciously letting those other three bands uh be a part of it because if you look at these record sale numbers they're like astounding like i don't think megadeth and slayer and anthrax combined come close to the number of sheer like the sheer volume of records that Metallica has sold based on their first five albums, like it, it's insane. Yeah, it's I fun. mean they're they were the they're the biggest band, you know, yeah. fucking ever, man. They're like one of the biggest ever bands, really. No, they they've sold like a hundred and like a hundred and twenty, a hundred and fifty million albums combined. At this stage of the game, they're like led zeppelin or like the beatles or something like that yeah, you know what i mean no, no totally totally i mean they, they there are generations led zeppelin or our generations black sabbath etc what have you you know i mean god absolutely what can what can you say you know but they Love still they still continue to like crush it with record sales yeah they do you know they do. and who the fuck's listening to them man 
Like who's buying it's the new Metallica Mike, album besides Paul DeLonge? Mike, Mike, right now, somebody just bought the volume out right now in the past five minutes. Like it's you just you don't even understand about the sales of that record. But, but that's what I mean. I just I don't is what I'm trying to say. It's like I'm not you know, I'm not trying to be like a fucking jerk off about it. But it's like I, I literally don't understand like what their audience is, I guess. It's just is it like I that's what perplexes me a little bit, you know? Well, when I saw them. When I was at Big Four, you know, uh, 2011, 2011, Yankee Stadium, quite a few real deal metalheads there and a bunch of people I knew from the hardcore scene, a bunch of people, you know, but a lot of normos, but a lot of metalheads, you know, but a good number of normos were there from Metallica. So it's like, I feel like they, they have, they have everybody, you know? Yeah. That's probably the answer is everyone. Everyone. <laughs> like, the who everyone. buys their records? Everyone. Totally, man. Totally. But uh, yeah, this this was a fun episode, folks. Um, we we've been we've been wanting to to cover uh, a Jalo film, and and you know we we you know it's been a minute since we've done one. I feel like, and uh, we never did a Martino movie, and we hadn't done an episode where w we talked quite a bit more about uh, the lovely Miss uh, Fennec before. So I hope uh, we did we did her right. I wouldn't mind having it like uh you know even maybe once a month doing a Giallo. Oh hell, cool. I'm fine with that. There's there's so much out there, and then there's there's like there's newer ones we could discover that that are that are out there too. So yeah, very cool. But uh, yeah, check out this movie, listeners, if you haven't, um, and if you have already seen it, tell us what you think of it. Tell us what you think of the episode, and uh, we appreciate all the support. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good night. Cheers.
Siempre.